Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. Continue our study in the gospel according to John. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Your word, O Lord, is sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. It is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is refined in the fire. So let us taste of its sweetness and treasure its wealth this morning, that we might be changed by your strong and mighty hand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Maybe you have had the experience before of someone trying to help you through the difficulties and sufferings and struggles of your life. Maybe it was someone with whom you were an acquaintance. You hadn't known them that long. And as you were going through these difficulties, these, these trials, they came into your life and, and they wanted to help you. And maybe it was even unsolicited help. Like you didn't ask for it. Like they just decided, hey, I think I'm going to try to help this person. And what they said didn't help. Maybe it was frustrating. Maybe it was even a little annoying. Maybe it was hard for you to receive it. And what would you say to that person in those moments? You don't know me. Your so-called help isn't any help at all because you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've experienced you don't know me, who I am, and therefore you cannot possibly give me what I need in my present situation. 
who are you to speak to me? Or in other words, mind your own business. We are much more readily to accept help and insight for someone who does know us, who is close to us, someone with whom we spent a considerable amount of time. How much more even are we willing to accept their help if they tell us what we want to hear? We will listen to those to whom we think know us, and we will offer help to those we think we know. To whom with those we are willing to say, I know him, I know her. We claim to have a certain knowledge of someone, a certain amount of understanding of who we think they are, of what they are about, what makes them tick, and so sometimes we think we can help them. We might find it odd what John the Baptist then says in our verses this morning, and he doesn't just say it once, he said it twice. Did you hear what he said? He says this, I myself did not know him. The him that John is referring to is Jesus. Would we be shocked to hear John the Baptist say, I did not know Jesus? What do you mean, John? You don't know Jesus? In fact, in my mind, I I imagine two children arguing about their knowledge of Jesus Christ. And perhaps when they came to know Jesus Christ. And so, one child saying to the other, well, I knew Jesus when I was in kindergarten. That's when I knew Jesus. The child responding, well, I could do you one better. I knew Jesus when I was in pre-K. I knew him before even kindergarten. I was better than that. Another child saying, well, Jesus was actually my first word. Like, I said juju, and that meant Jesus. But I knew Jesus. My very first word was Jesus. And then maybe the other child saying back, well, even before I could speak, I would just blink the syllabuses of Jesus' name. That's how I knew Jesus, even before I could say a word. And then enter John the Baptist. Oh, yeah, I knew Jesus from the womb. That's like saying infinity, right? Like when you're children, like that's the trump card. Like, Like infinity means like you can't beat it. Like, John the Baptist comes in, he says, like, infinity. I knew Jesus from the womb. Do you remember that? In God's word, we read that, that Elizabeth, who was John the Baptist's mother, right, had John the Baptist in utero, and Mary was in utero with Jesus, and Mary walks in, and what happens? John the Baptist, in the womb, leapt for joy when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary's words upon her ears. Whom even Elizabeth says, this is the mother of my Lord. John the Baptist, you didn't know Jesus? What are you talking about? 
Seems like you knew him from the womb. Seems like John the Baptist, if you're sent from God to prepare the way of the Lord, that you are going to testify and bear witness about him so that others will believe through your witness and through your testimony, seems like you should know who Jesus is. John does not say this to mean that he does not know him at all, but not fully or completely. He did not know him as the coming one, the Messiah, until he sees this sign at the baptism of Jesus. That's what John, the Apostle John, is relaying here for us in these verses. This is the event that we know lines up with the baptism of Jesus. And there are important reasons why John the Baptist says, I myself did not know him. First, this is the natural posture of all people in a fallen world. The gospel of John has already been making this point. So chapter 1, verse 10, the world did not know him. And then in verse 26, John the Baptist says to the Jews, among you stands one you do not know. And now John the Baptist even says, I myself did not know him. You notice how it goes from very general and it's beginning more and more specific. Like the world did not know him, the Jews did not know him, John the Baptist didn't even know him. This is the initial posture of all people. They do not know Jesus Christ to be the Messiah, to be the Savior of the world, to be the Son of God. And the Apostle John will continue to play off of this theme throughout his gospel. So, one other brief snapshot. If you just turn over a few pages to John chapter 7, verses 26 and following. John 7. And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? So this is the Jewish population, the Jewish public saying, do the authorities, do our authorities know that this is the Christ? Do they have some understanding about him? Verse 27, this is what they are saying. But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So here are these people saying, we know Jesus' origin. We know where he comes from. Also see at times in the Gospel of John, people say, we know his parents. For all of what they thought they knew about Jesus, John continues to tell us in his Gospel what the people thought they knew, they really didn't know. They made the claim with absolute certainty that they knew him, but their claim of knowledge only showcased their ignorance. Could there be a warning here for some? Particularly with those who have a background similar to mine. We have grown up in the church. We've heard about Jesus before we could even talk. We've heard much in Sunday school, much in sermons, much in prayers. We've read many picture books about Jesus. 
and we would say, I have known Jesus my whole life. I don't know of a time of not knowing Jesus. What's wrong with that? Don't we want our children to know Jesus from their youth, from a young age? Don't we want to pour into them a knowledge of who he is and of his love? Yes, give our kids more Jesus, but never let us think that more knowledge and more familiarity will overcome the initial stage every person is in. We all begin in a place of not knowing Jesus. Even though I grew up in church, even though I've heard about Jesus as long as I can remember, there was still a time when I did not know him. I did not know him to be the Messiah. I did not know him to be the Savior. I did not know him to be the only way to God. So let me give a word of caution. Do not be like those in the Gospel of John who claim to know Jesus, but who have absolutely no idea of who he really is. And if you might make the claim that you've always known Jesus and that there was never a time when you didn't know Jesus, I offer up this simple question. Do you? I think there is another layer to what John says here. As we look again at these statements, I myself did not know him. It's that second word. I myself John emphasizes the I. That is why it's translated I myself. Why does John emphasize that? He is making a statement of his own human ignorance and finiteness. For John did not come to know Jesus because he figured Jesus out. He doesn't know Jesus by piecing all of the information that he has gathered to deduce that Jesus is the Christ. John is not some super sleuth whose mind put together all of these clues about Jesus. John could never have figured this out on his own. It was only by divine supernatural revelation that he came to know who Jesus really is. A knowing based on supernatural revelation from the Father. This is what we pray, isn't it? Open the eyes of the blind. Open the ears of the lost. Give new hearts to those who are dying in unbelief. John the Baptist needed Jesus to be revealed to him, just as his ministry was meant to reveal Jesus to Israel. So the sign that God the Father gave to John was supernatural revelation pointing to the truth of Jesus' identity. Finally, there is a sense of hope. John states he did not know him, but why? Because John did not stay in that state. He didn't stay there not knowing Jesus. He came to know Jesus. He knew Jesus to be the Messiah. He knew him to be the Savior of the world. The initial position of not knowing Jesus does not need to be the case throughout one's entire life. John came baptizing with water to reveal Jesus to Israel. And by the way, 
he has also revealed Jesus to us as well. It's necessary because our initial ignorance of Jesus' identity must be displaced by certainty in Jesus' identity. And so that would lead to putting our complete faith and trust in Him. Our ignorance of Jesus must be displaced by a certainty of knowing who Jesus really is because it's in knowing who He really is that we're able to put our faith and trust in Him. So who did John come to know Jesus to be in? What is it that we must know Jesus to be as well? Well, a few weeks ago we looked at this. Jesus is our sin-bearing lamb who takes away our sin. We talked about that two weeks ago. I'm not going to rehash that now. But let's look at this second point this morning. Jesus is our spirit-anointed Messiah who dispenses the spirit. Jesus is our spirit-anointed Messiah who dispenses the spirit. This text revolves around two important truths. First, we see what the Lord removes. That is, He takes away our sin. He removes our guilt and our shame by bearing our sin in His body on the cross. It was something that we could never remove from ourselves. It was a stain that we could not take away. But now we come to this other truth. Not what Jesus removes, but what Jesus gives. More specifically, who he gives. He gives us someone. He gives us the Holy Spirit. Jesus is both the sin bearer and also the spirit giver. The sin bearer, the spirit giver. John the Baptist relays this truth to us by telling us about this event in Jesus' ministry, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, He bears witness to it. He is an eyewitness to it. And he bears witness because this is essential to Jesus' identity. It's something extraordinary. It's something miraculous. It's something that no one else has ever seen. His scene was a a scene of a supernatural event. So what did John see? He saw the Spirit that is the Holy Spirit, descend from heaven. And this sign again is a divine sign. It's a sign from God. And the Spirit descended like a dove. Now I think it's important that we see this here. The Spirit descended from heaven like a dove. It doesn't say the Spirit descended in the form of a dove. So I don't think that John saw a physical dove, I think he saw something that looked like the movement of a dove. Just like when you would say something like, he ran like a gazelle. You don't mean he actually was a gazelle. You meant his swiftness, his fluidity, his motion was like that of a gazelle in its running. So this is a comparison that's being made here. The Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. Maybe this movement that the Spirit was making was like the movement of a dove as it lands upon someone or something. But why why a comparison with a dove? Is there any significance to that? Other than it just kind of looked like a dove. 
Many people have tried to answer this question, and it's eluded many. What I'm looking for answers like this is I think about why a dove? Why does John and the other gospel writers express it like that? The first place I'm going to look to answer that question is in God's Word, is in Scripture. So someplace in Scripture that helps me understand what's going on here. Then I will tell you, that's the first place I look. Before uh, historical records, before what was going on in the culture, not that those things are unimportant, but I believe that there's one place to help me interpret Scripture, it's going to be Scripture. And so I think, and I say this loosely, the best possible understanding of why the Spirit is compared to a dove comes from the book of Genesis and the account of Noah. Do you remember Noah and his family in the ark after it had rained for 40 days and 40 nights and the whole globe was flooded? As the waters start to subside, what does Noah do? Well, he sends out a dove. Three times he sends out a dove. The first time, the dove found no place to land, so she returned. The second time, she came back again, but this time with a freshly plucked olive leaf in her mouth. The the third time she was set out, she did not return. Why? Why Noah's dove, and now why this dove-like account at Jesus' baptism? What's the point of those two things? Noah's dove is associated with new life and new creation. Like what we find at the end of the flood account. New life, new creation. So why does the Spirit descend like a dove on Jesus? Could it be to indicate that new life and new creation come through Him? The Gospel of John has already started as if it was a new creation account. In the beginning was the Word. So it would seem to fit this picture This picture of a new creation account. New life happens through this one upon whom the Holy Spirit descends. But the Holy Spirit did not merely descend upon Jesus. He descended and what? He remained or rested upon him. Why is that important? Because it signifies that Jesus permanently possesses the Spirit. Everything that Jesus does is in perfect and complete communion with the Spirit. His ministry is a Spirit-led and Spirit-filled ministry. And this is something new and different because there were certain instances in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit came upon people but did not remain on them. So let's look at an example of that here for a moment. If you have your Bibles, turn back to 1 Samuel 10, verse 10. 1 Samuel 10, verse 10. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. So there, Saul had the Holy Spirit rush upon him. The Spirit of God rushed upon him. But then flip forward a few pages to 1 Samuel 16, 14. First Samuel 16, 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord 
departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So what happened? First, the spirit rushed upon Saul. The spirit came upon Saul. But then later, what happened? The spirit, the Holy Spirit, departed from Saul. Not so with Jesus. The spirit descended on Jesus and remained, stayed upon Jesus with the intention to remain forever. The supernatural event taking place before the eyes of John the Baptist was indicating that this man who had the Spirit of God descend upon him and remain upon him was the Messiah, was the final Davidic ruler of the people that they had been waiting for. This action of the Spirit testifies to the identity of Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Spirit-anointed Messiah. He is David's greater son. He's the one that we read about in Isaiah 11. Do you remember that? If you need to go back there for a moment, Isaiah 11. Verse 2, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Or even if you go forward in the book of Isaiah to Isaiah 42. Verse 1. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Or again, a few chapters more forward. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. You see what's happening here with Jesus? He is the righteous branch the year of the Lord's favor that you have been waiting for, it's here and it's in here through the person of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. There is no other king to wait for. There is no other Messiah to follow. This is the Spirit-anointed one of God sent by God to fulfill the work of God by the Spirit of God as the Son of God for the salvation of mankind. And the Spirit testifies to the identity of Jesus in this event. Who is Jesus? Look at what the Spirit says about him. The Spirit gets it right. And this is actually applicable for us today. The Spirit testifying to the identity of Jesus means that we can have assurance when the Spirit testifies to our identity in Christ. The Spirit accurately testifying to the identity of Jesus means that when the Spirit says who we are, we can trust it. What does the Spirit say to us as believers? Romans 8. Romans 8.
Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Here is the assurance of of our identity in Christ. The Holy Spirit got Christ's identity, identity right. Would he get our identity wrong? No way! He tells us that we are children of God. He tells us that we are in Christ, united with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. The Spirit testifying to Christ's identity is assurance for us knowing our identity in Christ. Do you struggle with that from day to day? Do you struggle with that from week to week? Who am I? The Spirit has this ministry of testifying, you're a child of God. You are in Christ. And we can be assured that he gets that right. Because he got it right first with Jesus. John the Baptist sees this divine sign as given to him by the Father. He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is what the people had been waiting for. The outpouring of the Spirit. And that's what Jesus does. He dispenses of the Spirit. He gives of the Spirit. And I love this about the Holy Spirit here. What does he do? He illuminates Christ. The Holy Spirit, by descending on Christ and remaining on him, he is making Christ known. He is magnifying and glorying in Christ. The action of the Spirit descending on Jesus is not meant to draw our attention to the Spirit. It's meant to draw our attention to Christ. Look at Christ. Look at who he is. It's meant to make us stand in awe and wonder and in amazement of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ then is the one who immerses all those who put their faith and trust in him. He immerses them with the Holy Spirit. He gives them of the Spirit. He gives them the life-giving Spirit. The Spirit that was promised in Ezekiel 26, or Ezekiel 36 Verse 25, I will sprinkle you clean with water, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. That's what Jesus does as the one who gives, dispenses of the Spirit. And why did John say all of this? Verse 34. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God, or, you see a little maybe footnote there in your Bible, the Chosen One instead of the Son of God. Some manuscripts have the Chosen One. 
as well. Why is all of this important? Why are we talking about this? And I think the reason why John puts this here, and I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God, or the Chosen One of God, is because he's highlighting God moving toward us. Not us moving toward God. Who Jesus is isn't based upon man's opinion. Who Jesus is isn't up for debate. It's not up for us to decide. The world out there would like to think that we make up Jesus who we want him to be, but that is not the case. God decides who Jesus is and what Jesus does. He is the one who is moving towards us through his chosen one in order to save us. It's not about us choosing or deciding on Jesus. It's the fact that God has chosen Jesus to be the son of God and to so save sinners from their sin. It's about him giving the spirit. It's not about us getting or taking the spirit. It's about God moving towards us, his people. Do you know how God has moved toward you in the gospel? Do you know how God the Father has supernaturally revealed his son and who his son is for your benefit, for your salvation? Do you know this God who so devised a plan where he would put his spirit within you. Through his son, through the gift of faith that he gives so that we can believe upon him, do you see how God has moved toward you? And do you have the, that assurance of the Spirit saying, because God has moved towards you, because you have no salvation in Jesus Christ, because you have been given the gift of the Spirit, hear the Spirit say, you are a child of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And I pray and ask that you would use it in our lives. pray that we might leave here as those changed by the truth of your word and by the glory that we have seen. Open our eyes to see greater glory still. And Father, if there is someone here today who does not know Jesus Christ, I pray that today, today they would come to put their faith and trust in this one, this Messiah, this Savior. That in this one they would see he is the one who releases captives from their sin. He is the one who binds up the brokenhearted. He is the one who opens the eyes of the blind. He is the one who saves. Let us continue to hold fast to this Savior, I pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.